everyone, and welcome back to the show. You're listening to Firearms Cafe. I'm your host, Tony Brown. Today is Saturday, the 22nd of May, 2010. Boy, I tell you what, a lot has been going on out here in Arizona. Um, there's a few things that I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about uh, briefly the uh, the new immigration bill that will soon be law uh, unless something uh, happens. But I, I imagine, uh, I think it's going to be July 29th uh, that will actually go into effect. Um, but there's going to be a couple of other uh, things that the coverage of that bill is going to do that's going to affect another law that we've recently had passed here in Arizona. And I'll get to that here in a second. What I would like to do, uh, first of all, is talk about another show that's over on the Gun Rights Radio Network, and that is the Handgun Podcast. Now, a lot of you guys that listen to this show are aware of uh, Eric's show, which again is the Handgun Podcast, and it's hosted by Eric Shelton. And he has uh, got his 100th episode done, so hopefully you were a part of the uh, 6% Project and hopefully you've gone over there and downloaded and listened to that episode and you see if you've won some of the prizes that Eric was going to do. Uh, but I did want to congratulate Eric uh, on a couple of things I wanted to say. Congratulations, number one, on reaching uh, 100 episodes. That's a big milestone. Uh, you know, uh, podcasting, for the most part, there are very, very few of us out there that are podcasters that get any money. Uh, most of us don't even have one sponsor. Uh, some of us do. Uh, most of us don't. Most of us do it because it's a hobby and we like it. And we feel that uh, in the case of, uh, in, in my case, and I know in Eric's case, it's a matter of you do it because, number one, it's fun and you enjoy it. But number two, because you think, well, maybe uh, I can inspire somebody or maybe I can uh, change somebody's mind. And maybe that person will then go on uh, to do something uh, larger than than what I could have ever accomplished. Um, years ago, or actually I guess it seems like it's years ago, but it wasn't that long ago. Uh, in fact, Eric and I were at the Gun Rights, uh, Gun Rights Policy Conference, and that was when it was held down here in Phoenix. And there was a guy, he was, uh, and I, I forget the gentleman's name, but he was an older gentleman, and he had been the long and short of it was he had been very very influential uh with some of the laws here in arizona and some of the gun rights uh, he had been inf an influential an influential excuse me player in getting the castle doctrine uh first brought to the state also um was influential in when the castle doctrine first came out it basically said that if you were involved in a uh a situation where you had to defend yourself and lethal force was used that you would be presumed as acting as a reasonable per or excuse me a reasonable person would have done that changed uh, a little bit later in that you had to prove that you were in fear for your life so the burden of proof came to you it's since gone back and i think will remain the fact that again you are presumed to be acting as a reasonable person would do and what that does is it it puts the burden of proof on the state if they're going to come after you. Uh, first of all, it makes it a little, not a lot, but a little bit more difficult for them because they know that going into a trial, if they're going to come after you, 
that again the burden of proof is now kind of back on on their uh, on their side of the court so to speak uh, but kind of the long and short of that was that this was one person and a lot of times we think well what can i do what can i as one person do or i can't can i really have an effect and the the answer to that question is yes, you absolutely can make a difference. You absolutely can have an effect. And it may not be necessarily that you are are doing something, but you may inspire somebody or somebody may, that person that you take shooting for the first time or, or that person's kids, you know, if you got their family involved in it, maybe that kid one day is going to be a congressman or a senator and will fight for our Second Amendment rights. Maybe that kid will grow up and uh, be an attorney. And what he wants to do is go into uh, criminal defense, which again, if we remember from some of the past shows, uh, criminal defense doesn't necessarily mean that he's just uh, you know, protecting bad guys, but maybe he wants to have a specialty of, uh, for lack of a better word, what you would call like self-defense law. So he's, he wants to, uh, he or she, I guess I should say, wants to go in and be a person that could help defend that. Or maybe they're going to do something that we can't even imagine later down the road that, that helps further our rights and helps further protect us, uh, that helps strengthen uh, what we believe in as far as uh, how the Constitution should be interpreted, uh, that type of thing. So again, uh, I wanted to just get kind of get back to congratulating Eric. I wanted to congratulate him on the idea of the six percenters. I thought that was just a brilliant idea. Uh, I think it's something that, again, it can be repeated over and over and over every year. Uh, we've got to be involved. We've got, and also part of being involved is being informed. You can't take things at face value. You need to you need to question what you hear. And not only from the opposite side, you need to question what you're hearing from our side. Um, you need to question what our, what our politicians say, and more importantly, what they don't say. A lot of times what people leave out is just as important as what they're saying, and we see that all the time in the media. A lot of the stories that, that we want to say, oh, that's just an outright lie, well, it's not really an outright lie. But the way that they're saying it, or the context that they're putting it, there's just enough of a grain of truth in there that for them, they can get away with it. Uh, unless you and I and others out there are used to questioning. And it's, again, it's not just questioning authority or questioning what the government is doing, but but we also need to question our, our and I've, I've spoken about this before on other shows, we need to question our own beliefs. We, under, we need to understand why we believe the things that we do. We need to understand why we like something or dislike something. Uh, it's never enough to say, I just don't like it. You need to understand why, because at some point you may be called upon to defend those beliefs. And if you just say, I don't know, I just believe it, that's not going to be good enough. And that's not going to win over somebody uh, if you're in a discussion with someone about uh, gun rights or about why you think illegal immigration law that we've got here in Arizona is a good thing or a bad thing. Whatever your position is doesn't matter. Just know know what you believe and why you believe and be able to defend those beliefs. 
because once you start doing that and when you start questioning your own beliefs and, and ideas and ideals and things like that, once you start doing that and you try and look at it, stepping back from emotion uh, and stepping uh, back from some of the hype and some of the things like that that can sometimes go along with some of the uh, issues and hot button issues and things like that that go on today, once you sort of step back and kind of take a nice reasoned, logical look at it, you'll eventually, in most cases, in almost all cases, you'll come to the to what the real truth of it is. Uh, be that, again, things like immigration, be that things like uh, Second Amendment issues, firearms issues, be that things uh, like our current economy or our current uh, political fix that we're finding ourselves in. So anyway, um, just want to give one kind of final thank you to Eric and also another congratulations on reaching 100 shows. Hopefully we'll have 100 more and uh, hopefully you'll be doing the 6% contest. Maybe in the next few years it'll be a uh, 12% and then a 50% and maybe even 100% could be something that we could shoot for. So uh, again, the more we're involved, the more actual change that we can make. All right, let's go ahead and let's get our contact information out of the way. If you'd like to contact me, there's a couple ways you can do so. You can either send me an email at firearmscafe at gmail.com. Again, that's all one word, firearmscafe at gmail.com. Or you can call and leave a message for me on the voicemail, which is area code 206-339-3266. Also, if you want, you can uh, leave a comment over on the forum section at Gun Rights Radio and uh, just under the Firearms Cafe section. Let's see. Speaking of emails, let's go ahead. Uh, I got some from uh, Candy, so thanks for sending those in. I got a real kick out of those. I also uh, got an email from Joseph, and uh, he was very complimentary. He talked about he liked some of the, uh, the last shows, and especially number 39. Um, that was when I was talking about mandatory training, things like that. Um, and basically Joseph was saying that he agrees. He made some good points that what we, what we kind of need to do is get on the same page. And, and, uh, if we would say, you know, on one hand, you don't have to have mandatory training to purchase a firearm, then why should you have to have mandatory training? And again, this is training that is mandatory. So, what mandatory means is you would not be able to purchase, own, carry anything, a firearm, unless you had a specific uh, training regimen that you had gone through. The only way to get one that would be specific would be it would have to be uh, either set up by the states or by the federal governments. And once you have something like that, that's when that stuff can be manipulated to make it to where it either becomes... Uh, so expensive, or um, they limit um, the amount of people in classes that you could take so that it would take you literally months and months to be able just to get into the training class. So uh, he also talked a little bit about when I, when I spoke about maybe having um, firearms education uh, brought back into the schools. Uh, and he writes that he would uh, like to see public schools teach fact from fiction, safety, and general understanding of firearms. And 
He says he ends it with, let's put our mouths in collective energy in unison and harmony to advocate for this as a goal in addition to nationwide constitutional carry. So thanks, Joseph, for that. And uh, he and I had kind of uh, went back and forth a little bit, and then he sent in a, uh, a kind of like a tongue-in-cheek fictional thing of, of what could happen. And basically, uh, it, it's it's a little bit too long to, to read here, but... Um, he, he makes a couple of really good points that are pretty neat. Um, you know, when he talks about, uh, things like, you know, uh, how they could make the training and everything so egregious and so filled with red tape that you would just never be able to do it. So, uh, so again, Joseph, thanks for that. I got a really big kick out of that. Um, what I may do, if you don't mind, is I might go ahead and put that up on the website, and uh, I'll just uh, copy and paste it. And I, I, of course, wouldn't put your email or anything up there like that. It would just be the text, so because I thought it was kind of a neat read. So if you guys um, will go over to the website, uh, which would be firearmscafe.com, you'll be able to see the little thing that Joseph wrote. And like I said, it, it takes stuff way to the extreme, but... Uh, you know, like just as an example, he, he has one of the things that would be part of your mandatory training would be uh, you'd have to write uh, an essay entitled Why I Want a Gun. So, you know, things like that. And, you know, as kind of facetious sounding as some of that stuff is, a lot of times when people are trying to go and get a concealed carry weapon, especially in a lot of the shall, or not the shall issue states, but in the may issue states, that's pretty much what you're having to do. You're having to justify why you want those things. And, and uh, again, that thing is, that type of stuff is just not right. Eventually, everything will go to, um, to shall issue. And I think what's going to happen is now that we've gotten uh, constitutional carry, and once it becomes law, and, again, once nothing happens, because we've already got, we've already got, the examples and the data from Vermont and from Alaska. So what's going to happen is basically nothing. We'll just have more data from Arizona. I'd love to see a place like Utah, or I don't think New Mexico will go that way for a long, long time, but I'd love to see a place like New Mexico go. I'd like to see as many states actually as we could get. Eventually, if things keep going the way that they're they're going, um, I, and, and more people, as more people get their eyes open to the reality of things as opposed to listening to the uh, the spin and the myths that are generated through the media and uh, um, kind of through our social consciousness, I guess, uh, as some of those things kind of start to fall away, I think that, uh, that the constitutional uh, type carry uh, will come through. So I, I think hopefully maybe in about... Uh, the next, you know, 10 to 15 years or 20 years, it may be a thing where we're looking that, you know, all but 10 states have constitutional type carry. So, uh, let's see if I have any other emails here. I think that was about it. And I did not get any, um, any voicemails. Let's see. Oh, I actually did get a, another email from Mark. So I actually did. I just found that here in the deal. Um... Let's see, Mark writes in and he says that he's been listening to both my podcasts. And, and uh, for those of you guys, maybe if this is your first time listening, 
I also do a separate podcast called The Armed Ape. It's not part of Gun Rights Radio Network. It's just more of a uh, much more looser. It's not. It's definitely not safe for work at times. Although I'd say 90% of it probably is. But uh, but anyway, Mark writes in and he said he joined the NRA, became a subscriber uh, to the Gun Rights Radio Network in large part because of me. So uh, my efforts to motivate us have not fallen on deaf ears. And I'd like to say thank you very much. That really makes um, the time and the effort that I put into doing the shows. It really makes it worthwhile, uh, just knowing that people are getting involved and are, are joining the organizations that we need to join. Um, one of the things that he, an example that Mark gave, which I thought was pretty neat, was that he, he writes and says, while we would probably both agree that some education could make us better voters, most people would reject this type of restriction on a basic right, and the right to bear arms should be thought of in the same way. And I thought that was a really good point. People would really balk at the thing of, you know, you have to go and get a special government card to be able to vote and you have to be able to and you have to also get a go through a special government class that's sanctioned and unless you have those things and by the way this stuff isn't going to be free, it's going to cost you money and then if you can't afford to do those, well, tough stuff for you. You know, it's often the case when when people look at guns, when people look at people, other people who want to carry guns, so when people look at a guy like me, then they say, well, why would that guy want to do it? And then they see, well, some of the restrictions and some of the things that I have to go through and some of the fees that I have to pay to be able to do that, they don't see that as a big deal, but they never try and look at it from another perspective. They never try and look at it from some of our other rights. Uh, you know, so, uh, of, of the Bill of Rights. So, and it's because I think most people still don't think of it as an individual right, although that is changing. And again, like I said, in the next few years, I think it's going to become much more a part of kind of our social fabric or our social consciousness that the Second Amendment is there for a reason and it means what it says. And we as citizens of this country, have the right um, to keep and bear arms and the right to defend ourselves and our families and protect ourselves. And these are things that are not given to us by the Constitution, but these are things that are guaranteed. They were put in the Constitution so that our government would not take those things away from us. And as we see, our government is trying to do that all the time. Uh, let's see. I th- And I think... I know I said I think that's about it, but I'm pretty sure that is about it. Um, so let's go ahead and we'll take a, a quick musical break here. And uh, then what we will do when we come back is I'll uh, give a few thoughts on kind of the juxtaposition of constitutional carry and the, uh, the current fiasco that we're going through with our immigration law here in Arizona. Also, before I forget, all music uh, that you hear on the podcast today is provided courtesy of Music Alley from Medio, and you can check them out at musicalley.com.
you want to look at it okay now before the break what i said i was going to talk about was sort of that juxtaposition between our current law um, or actually it's not a current law yet i guess well, the, the laws that are will uh, the bills that have passed and will become law which are uh, the, t- the two that i think are going to have uh, the most controversy and we see the controversy going with the first one which is uh, the immigration Uh, reform bill, uh, how I like to refer to it. And the other thing is the constitutional carry bill. And the angle that I have on it is a little bit different, I think, than other people, meaning that normally what we would see is a lot of the media and a lot of, uh, especially the anti-gunners, really ramping up uh, and really trying to put a lot of disinformation out there about constitutional carry. Um, But because the uh, immigration bill came through and got passed, and remember uh, it had a uh, 70% approval rating, which is almost unheard of for just about any bill, uh, by most Arizona people. Um, So what I think has happened... And in a way, it's going to actually, I think, maybe work out a little better for us uh, on the gun side is that that furor over the immigration law has kind of stolen some of the thunder of the constitutional carry law. And some people would argue, well, it would, it would be better to have maybe some of the controversy because it gets some of the word out a little bit more uh, about constitutional carry. But I think in the long run for, for, the, for people here in Arizona, what's going to happen is, let's say if the immigration thing had not come up, what I think would have happened is that uh, once the, uh, the law went into effect, which I believe is going to be the end of July or, or in August at some, some point, I, I'm pretty sure it's end of July, once that goes into effect, there would have been a lot of hoopla in the news, and I think we would have seen uh, a lot of businesses and other places start to put up no fire, and restaurants and things like that, start to put up no firearm signs. Um, I think that may be avoided, uh, because again, at the same time that the uh, constitutional carry law 
is actually a law on the book, so to speak, is going to be the same time that the immigration law is going to be a law on the books, barring any other federal stays or, or uh, judicial stays, things like that, that would uh, prevent it from becoming law. And I don't even know if that, at this point, would be possible. Uh, but again, like I said, I think what it's going to do is it's going to push constitutional carry under the radar. And once it does come back and kind of comes back into that, you know, that public awareness again, it'll be a thing of where we've had it for maybe three or six months. And it will be old hat because we'll have had maybe three to six months of time of saying, look, nothing has happened. And of course, we'll always be able to refer back to Vermont and back to Alaska. Uh, you know, a lot of the arguments that other states use for that is uh, they'll say, oh, those states don't have these huge metropolitan cities and things like that. Well, Phoenix is actually a huge city. It's I think it's one of the fifth largest cities in the nation, maybe fifth or sixth. Um, but it's, it's a big city, uh, and, and there's lots of problems and things that go on with being a big city. But uh, overall, we have, I think, uh, it's a nice place to live. And it's a relatively safe place to live. And I think one of the reasons, one of the main factors why Phoenix is a very, uh, or I guess I'd say a relatively safe place to live, is because we have had a, uh, a pretty strong gun culture here in Arizona. And over the last few years, that's just getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And as we see that gun culture and the furtherance and the expansion and in some uh, cases, quite frankly, the the uh, the taking back of certain gun rights that had been lost or had been you know regulated almost into obscurity, we're seeing that the violent crime rates and things like that are going down. And again, it once it becomes part of social consciousness, I think that we will see another drop in violent crime and in crimes. Uh, and you, I guess you would you would uh, put into the category of violent crimes things like strong armed robbery, armed robbery, things like that. Uh, but where there's nobody has been raped or murdered or, or violently assaulted. Uh, but I think even those type of things are going to go down because again, once it becomes sort of known that almost anybody that you see on the street can carry if they want to. That's going to have an effect on the criminal element. It it just it absolutely will. Is it going to be a huge effect where there's going to be no crime? Obviously not. But it will have an effect, and we will see that our numbers go down. Um, again, we're talking about law-abiding people, people that are legally able to own and purchase uh, and and, uh, and carry firearms uh, anyway. So uh, the only thing is, is you're not going to have a permission slip. And like I've said on previous shows, I will as long as Arizona, excuse me, has a permitting system. I'll go ahead and get that because uh, depending on how things shake out once this does become law, I'm sure we're going to lose some reciprocity with some states. Um, I don't know why that sh that would be, uh, but we may, especially if once there, once constitutional carry has become common, I think we're going to see a reduction of of what we already have now as far as requirements uh, to have the permit. So, and I think once we see some of those reductions, we'll maybe see some reciprocity go, go down. Uh, if that's the case, what I would probably do 
would be to get maybe if I could uh, a Utah permit or maybe a Florida permit. Uh, if an individual state, let's say that we were going to go to a lot, if they allowed me as a non-resident just to get a permit from that state, that uh, as a, basically just as an Arizona resident, uh, you know, because they, what they may say is something like, well, if you, since you live in Arizona, even though you have this Florida permit and we have reciprocity with them or with Utah or whoever, because you're not a resident of those states, we're not going to honor you here in Oregon, let's say. And again, I'm just throwing out states at random. Uh, but what they may say is, you as an Arizona resident, if you want to you know, try and meet the criteria here, you'll be able to uh, get a permit that we would honor uh, as a non-resident permit type thing. And again, not all states have that, but some do. So uh, I see by the clock on the wall, we're getting into the 30-minute area, so I think we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Again, if you'd like to contact me, feel free to do so. Um, if you have a difference of opinions or if you if you just think uh, things are going to shake out a little bit differently here in Arizona as far as uh, whether or not constitutional carry is going to kind of fly under the radar for a little bit, uh, go ahead and let me know, and you can again send me an email at firearmscafe at gmail.com, or you can uh, send me a voicemail at uh, 206-339-3266. Well, I think, like I said, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Again, um, there are tons of shows over at the Gun Rights Radio Network. We're getting new shows. I think there's a, uh, at least another three or four that have been added um, there, there are some shows that haven't put out a show in a while. <laughs> Mine is kind of one of them. I know that I'm a little bit infrequent with how I put them out, but uh, again, that's, that can be the nature of podcasting. Uh, and that quite frankly can be some of its charm. Um, you know, when you don't get them every single time, I, like I said, I try to be as consistent as I can and I will try very hard to, uh, at least do, uh, two shows per month, so hopefully every other week. So, all right. Uh, other than that, I will see you guys next time. Everybody, stay safe, and more importantly, stay informed. And uh, we'll see you next time. And as always, we'll save a seat for you at our table here at the Firearms Cafe. Oh, the devil has given him superhuman strength.